Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, March 22nd, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator this morning. The Sheer ID for Friday, March 20th, is 7408. 7408. This morning, A Vision for You presents Step 3. Once we've accepted step one, we've realized that anything that comes from our own resources, our will, our effort, philosophy, morality, goals, or good intentions won't solve our problem of compulsive overeating. Our human resources alone simply aren't sufficient. Step one becomes the foundation of our recovery. Step two is the cornerstone laid on that foundation. Now that we've admitted we're powerless over food and we've come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity, we're ready for step three, a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of that higher power. Joining us this morning to speak about step three is Kim G., a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Kim is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, intensively working with other compulsive overeaters and carrying the message that indeed there is a solution. It is now my pleasure to welcome Kim G. Thanks, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I'm very excited to go through step three. Um, today, and I'm going to basically be going over pages 60 to 64, so if you want to open up your big book for those steps, and you know, one of the things I had to do for someone, um, which are probably many of you, who've been away for many years, just treating it as a dieting program with group support, is I had to question what step three was. I had to, had to take away my prejudices of what I thought step three was and compare it to what's written in the book. And my step three for many years was, I was going to call my sponsor, I was going to commit my food, and I was going to give God a laundry list of things that he was supposed to do. And what I would say in the rooms was, well, I turned it over and I took it back, and I turned it over and I took it back. But really what I was saying was I was playing God, telling God what to do, and when I wasn't getting my way, I was taking it back that I had to have control. And that is nothing to do with step three. Committing my food has nothing to do with step three. My food is dealt with in step one. So let's just start on page 60, and let's discover together what step three means in the context of the big book. So that um, first full paragraph, it says, our, I mean, sorry, second full paragraph, our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and we could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God could and would if he were sought. So I want to take a minute. You know, they're saying here that these descriptions of the alcoholic, the prior chapters, are bringing us to this point. And so often we bring newcomers to this chapter and they've not seen the chapters prior. So I just want to summarize in a couple minutes what we have learned up to page 60. So in the doctor's opinion, we are taught what a compulsive reader is because just because someone's heavy or someone eats too much does not make them a compulsive reader. 
Just the same way as someone drinks too much doesn't make them an alcoholic. It's a specific diagnosis. The first part, and there's two parts, is I have an allergy of the body. I have an abnormal, exaggerated reaction to certain foods. Not all foods, but certain foods. And that manifests in a phenomenon of craving. What happens is I ingest these foods, I get this phenomenon of craving, it intensifies, never satisfies, and my body is driven to eat more and more and more. And that's a bad problem. But the other problem is that I have this mental twist. I have this obsession of the mind that even when I'm free of that allergy, I have a mind that tells me it's okay to eat the food, which I know is going to kill me. So that's first essential. That's part of what I have to fully concede. And then I'm shown Bill's story. Because if I know that the medical diagnosis and the doctor's opinion, how does that look in a human being? And I'm looking at the Bill's story. Do I identify in? Forget he, he's from the 1920s. Forget he's a stockbroker. Forget he's a World War II veteran. Or World War I, I think. World War I veteran. Look at it. Do you eat? Did you eat like Bill drank? Did you feel like Bill felt? And did you think like Bill sank? Do you see the progression of the illness? His progression is showing fun and excitement to necessity to oblivion. Do you identify in? And then in there is a solution. We learn a lot about who we're not. To know who I am, I have to know who I am not. We talk about the moderate eater who can take it or leave it alone. Is that your truth? If it is, you don't need the steps. What about the heavy eater, the person who might eat like me, but given sufficient reason, they can stop or moderate? If that's your truth, you don't need to be an overeaters anonymous either. And here comes more about alcoholism, the chapter that tells me why I have to come to overeaters anonymous. This is a chapter that talks about the mental twist. The allergy is not being triggered. These are four stories, not about people who are drunk and can't stop, can't get sober, but people who are sober and still make the insane decision to take a drink. So that's what's going on. That is the reason I come to Overeaters Anonymous, because of the mental twist, not because of the allergy. If it was just the allergy, then rehabs would cure everybody because they get them free of their allergic substance. And then we move into we agnostics. That everything we've been taught at this point shows me that I'm powerless. Lack of power is my dilemma. And in, the, in we agnostics, we're not taught about God. We're not told what to believe. What we're being taught is, do you need a power? In my powerlessness, I learned in the prior chapters, I'm being slammed home that I cannot solve my own problem. And therefore, I need a power outside of myself. And those two conclusions are going to bring me to where we are right now in pages 60 to 64. I can't come to this decision in 60 to 64 if I don't have all that information. I need to have an informed decision about continuing with the rest of the steps. And I just want to preface this in the beginning because I'm going to be using the word God a lot, and that really upsets people. From this point, maybe you don't believe in God at all, maybe you're not sure, or maybe you have very definite beliefs about God. When I was beaten to a pulp by food, I no longer cared that Alcoholics Anonymous said the word alcohol. I didn't care they talked about king alcohol. I will quote, you know, elimination of our drinking from the beginning. But I know for me, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm talking about food. And not only that, when I hear the word food, we are blessed and challenged in our fellowship that we are not all allergic to the same food or the same ingredients. And I don't get upset when someone says food because I know I have to personalize it to what my binge foods are. So I want you to take that same approach with the word God. 
I'm going to use that because that's what the text is saying. But it's very clear it's the God of our own understanding. It's about power. So whatever that is for you, whatever form that is for you, just think of it that way. Don't let the word God prejudice you. Because I'm going to use it for the text. It is a God of your own understanding. So when we look at these A, B, and C, and what I used to hear in the rooms was the first three steps are I can't, God can, I think I'll let God. And someone, when someone showed me what this actually said, the C really jumped out at me. Because when I would say, I think I'll let God, what that meant was I was playing God. I was going to decide, me being all-powerful, I'm going to let God handle my finances, but he's not getting involved in my romance. Or I'm going to let God handle my food, but he's not going to handle my marriage. And it's not saying that. It's not about letting God. Step the C is God could and would if he were sought. So what step three is, we're going to make a decision to seek that power. Because we are convinced of our powerlessness, therefore I'm going to seek a power. That's what step three is. It's not about letting God do anything. God is... God is, is an infinite power. I am finite. That's what this text is teaching. So let's go in there. Being convinced we're at step three. That's what I was just talking about. If we're not convinced of these prior chapters, then we're not going to be able to go forward. So being convinced we're at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him, just what do we mean by that and just what do we have to do? So the reality is, in step three, we don't turn over anything. What we're going to be given is a series of instructions and prayers that we will have to utilize in order to learn how we can turn our life and our will over to God. And I'm just going to read something. I'll try and look it up real quick on the Internet. Um, shoot, which I'm not going to be able to do. Let me see. No, so I'm going to paraphrase it. In the original text, after A, B, and C, Bill had written... You know, if you are not convinced at this point, you need to reread the text or throw it away. Because the rest of the book, you're not going to commit yourself to the level you do if you're not convinced of these two conclusions of step one and two. So continuing with the text, the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives were good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. So we're saying here that first of all, it's saying the first requirement, which makes me think there's probably other requirements. But am I convinced that, my, that me running my life on self-will is, is, cannot be a success? How do I know that? Because of steps one and two. Otherwise, I still think I can run my own life. And I am almost always in collision with other people, even though my motives were good. And what I found for myself was I wanted to be judged by my motives, not my actions. And that's why I was constantly in collision. I'm gonna, I want the world to judge me by my motives, but I want to judge the world by their actions. So it doesn't matter that I want to be the big sister to my brother's. It doesn't matter that I want to be the, the best friend of my friend. My motives might be good, but I'm always constantly inclusion. I think of it like bumper cars. Am I always running into other people up against people? Because most people try to live by self-propulsion. We're going to be reminded a couple other times that these characteristics are not unique to compulsive overeaters. 
Acting on self-will is not a unique compulsive overeater behavior. However, as a compulsive overeater, the way that my brain is wired, I cannot live by self-propulsion without getting restless, without getting irritable, without getting discontent, without getting so uncomfortable in my own skin that my mind convinced me that the only thing that's going to give me ease and comfort is to pick up the food. So my consequences of living in self-will are death. Other people can live in self-will and be fine. In fact, they can even flourish a lot of them. But for me, it is a death sentence, and I have to recognize that. Each person is an actor who wants to run the whole show. You know, for years I just thought, of this, oh, this is a cute little play. But someone pointed out to me that the fact that the actor is someone who takes direction. I was never the actor. I wanted to give the direction. An actor can't be the director. An actor can't be the lighting person. An actor can't be the costume person. Think about it if you go to the Oscars and they have best actor, best director, best lighting, best special effects, best costumes. It's a different person for each role because everybody has a different role within that movie. I, ha- I thought I had the role of everybody. That's where my problem was. So if it's my arrangements to only stay put, if only people would do as they wish, the show would be great. So my pain was not as much as about what happened, was happening, but my, uh, my idea that everything had to go my way in order for me to be safe. And I believed that it, what I thought was what everyone else should do. My belief system is what everyone else's belief system should be, and there they should, or they should just go my way. And it says in the top of 61, everyone, including himself, would be pleased. If everyone would just listen to me, the world would be wonderful. So here's, life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actors may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, and generous, even modest or self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. So this is something that I used to justify. I'm a nice person. I'm not selfish. I'm always doing for other people. Those alcoholics, yeah, they're, they're mean and egotistical and they're selfish and dishonest, but not me. I'm kind. I'm considerate. I'm patient. I'm generous. So this doesn't apply to me. And they're letting us know here, these are just different sides of a coin where we're still trying to get our way. Because let me tell you, when I said to you that I wanted to help you, what I was really saying was, please, let me manipulate you so I can get you to do what I want in order for me to be comfortable. Or maybe I was saying, you know what, let me be nice to you so that you will like me. Or let me be nice to you in order for you to tell your neighbors how wonderful I am so I can enjoy a reputation I want to have. Or let me be nice to you because I'm afraid if I'm not nice to you, you're going to talk behind my back and people are going to be upset with me. So my motive was always this idea of selfish and self-centered and wanting to be comfortable. It wasn't out of a good motive. I'm just going to take a side note here. I I was away this week at a dog rescue, um, and I experienced truly giving in a selfless way. And let me tell you, it's a totally different experience. I would show up to the rescue barn in the morning, and I would say, how can I be useful? Because this big book is a part of my life. It's a part of my language. It's a part of my deportment. And I would just come in and say, how can I make your day easier? What would you like me to do today? And whether it was picking up poop and pee in a paddock or getting to rub the dog's belly or maybe cleaning a toilet or filing papers, I didn't care because I wanted to be useful. That is, that is being God-centered, other-centered, 
versus self-centered, what I can get out of this rescue. I only want to rub dogs' bellies. I'm not. I'm above picking up poop. So that's what we are looking for. We're looking towards this ability to be other-centered. So let's see what happens when we are self-centered. And I'm going to read this next paragraph um, in, in first person because I need to recognize that this is me. This is, this is the crux of the problem. At this point, I am, I am abstinent. The big book is under the assumption that you are abstinent. You have, the hour is not being triggered. Food is not the problem. We're now being confronted with the real problem, which is me. The problem is, you know, my real problem, in all honesty, is abstinence. I can't get comfortable and abstinent, which is why I need to pick up. So the question is, why can't I be comfortable and abstinent? And this, these pages are telling me what is my true problem. So the next paragraph, what usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins, I begin to think life doesn't treat me right. I decide to exert myself more. I become on the next occasion more demanding or gracious. Once again, same side of the, two sides of the same coin. Still the play doesn't suit me. Admitting I may be somewhat at fault, I am sure the other people are more to blame. Oh, if I didn't eight things mean to you and you did nine things mean to me, I was an innocent little puppy. That's what, where I, I, the tit for tat was so dangerous for me. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. So here are the questions. What is my basic trouble? Not food or weight, but what is my basic trouble? Am I not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? So there's the people pleaser. I am still seeking from you something in order to be kind. Here's a huge one. This is something I actually personally use as part of my 11 step. I use these questions because if I'm starting to identify more with this, I'm identifying with self. So I use this as a barometer in my 11 step. Am I not the victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage well? The problem isn't my behavior. The problem is I have to manage better. I have to figure this out. I have to, to pull myself up on my bootstraps. I have to make it happen. Make it work. I love that show, uh, Project Runway, and Tim Gunn says, make it work. That was my mantra for life. And what I will do is, depending on where I'm acting in self-will, I'll change it. This works. Am I not the victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of my mother? if only I manage well, out of my job, if only I manage well, out of my dogs, if only I manage well. Continuing with the text, is it not evident to the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? I know I'm the big sister, but listen, don't that little brothers know this is what they want? Don't my coworkers know that I know how to run this office even though I'm a coworker, not a supervisor? Do not my action makes each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can out of the show. Is it really that people are just nasty or maybe they're reacting to the way that I present myself to the world? Maybe they are retaliating because I am living by self-propulsion constantly in collision with them like bumper cars and out of self-defense they have to retaliate. Now here's one that's a big ouch for me. Am I not even in my best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony? So even when I'm at my best, even on my A game, my best day managing my life well, I'm a producer of confusion rather than harmony. And as I grow in this text, I start to look at things differently. You know, I, I, I always was, you know, heard in the rooms and heard in society 
we've got to get balance in our life. How do we get balance? And what I have found for myself personally is balance is about me trying to manage my life well, me making decisions about what is good and what is bad. What I look for now is harmony, and harmony is what does God want me to do? What does that power greater than myself want me to do? How can I be useful today? And when I use that as a yardstick, my life is a lot more harmonious. We often hear the word self-care. When I'm making decisions about what I need, I'm screwed. You know, when you get to step 11 and it talks about being much more efficient and not tiring so easily because we're not constantly trying to run the show, that's where I I, I practice quote-unquote self-care. I'm asking God into, God, I'm not efficient. I'm exhausted. Tell me what to do. And maybe it's to go to sleep a little bit earlier. Maybe it's not to return all my phone calls today because I don't have time and I'm going to get snappy with somebody. But it's not my decision. I'm not making decisions about self-care. I'm going to God. I'm going to that power greater than myself and asking him how I can find harmony. Confusion is of Kim. Harmony is of my higher power. So let's go to the top of page 62 because they're going to slam home this idea. Selfishness and self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but invariably we find that sometime in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later place us in a position to be hurt. So once again, the selfish and self-centered you know, I was still kind of tweaking about it. No, 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 I'm nice to people. And someone pointed out to me, think of it more as self-absorbed. And that I could identify in with. There wasn't a moment in the day that I wasn't thinking about me, whether I was thinking I was a good person or I was thinking I was a bad person. And when I was thinking about you, the only thing I was thinking about was what are you thinking about me? So selfish and self-centered may not be the actions we think of in society, but are you self-absorbed? Are you only thinking about you all day long? Having low self-esteem doesn't mean that you're not selfish. Having low self-esteem just means you're thinking about yourself a lot in a bad way. So I had to see that. It's just driven, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking. All of the, my day is driven by how can I protect me? How can I make sure I'm not getting taken advantage of? What can I get? People are going to try to get this from me. I have to get my piece of the pie. You know, I have a little Jack Russell who's sitting at my feet right now. And I'll tell you, we'll be out in the backyard and she'll be playing and having fun and a squirrel will come into her point of view and she is driven, throwing her 20 pounds against the fence, against the tree, driven to get that squirrel. And that's what is life for me. I used to talk about that way in the food. I could be la, 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 donut, and I'm off on the races. But I can do that with selfish and self-centered too. La, 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 I'm not going to be taken advantage of. No one's going to do that to me. And I get driven by those forms of, of fear. And it's the root of my trouble. You know, my father is a big gardener, and he comes to my house a few days a week, and I'm not a gardener, and he's always laughing at me because I try to help, and I'm not very good at it. But there will be dandelions in my, in my lawn, and he will, I'll start picking the dandelions, and he just shakes his head. He's like, Kim, that's not going to do any good. He's like, they're just going to come back if you're taking away the flowers. Here's this weird-looking, like, fork-looking hoe thing. You've got to get down and get the root of it. If you don't get the root of it, those dandelions are going to come back. 
And in fact, he told me with certain leaves, if you just break off the flowers, it's actually going to come back more because what you're doing is not pucking it out. You're pruning it and allowing more growth. And that's what I had to find. The more that I picked at, more that I played whack-a-mole with all my defects and just thought, okay, I'm just going to, you know, and this is just for me personally, I have a psychology degree. I would use, put all these fancy words on things. This is my abandonment issue. This is my, my family of origin. This is my passive aggressiveness. I mean, you know, all these different words, and I would play whack-a-mole trying to get them down. But all it was was a hundred forms of fear. And I had to get to the root of the trouble, which was me, in order to have them removed. It wasn't helpful for me just to try to, today I'm going to work on my abandonment issues. Today I'm going to work on, on my family of origin. Today I'm going to work on these different things. I had to recognize that it was all down to self, and I am driven by that idea that I have to protect myself. So now we're going to go to that next paragraph, and it's going to be the best news. I'm telling you, girl, girls and girls and guys, this is the best news you're going to hear today. It says, so our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. Because let me tell you, if it really is your husband, if it really is your children, if it is your job, if it is the political party that you hate, if it is the PTA or your church or your synagogue, what do you guys know with that? You can't change other people. So the best news is that my troubles are of my own making. The trouble isn't what's happening. The trouble is my reaction to what is happening. So if I can change my reaction, I can change my reality. Okay, so it says they arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. And that's important. We often hear self-will run riot. What's the rest of the paragraph? Though he usually doesn't think so. Because I can see in you that self-will has run riot in you and pointed out easily. I have a very hard time seeing it in me, which is why we need recovered people around us to point that out. Now, we're going to get some very uh, strong language here that we have to get. Above everything, above everything, these steps is the cornerstone of my life. My connection with the power greater than myself is is the most important thing in my life because it has to be above everything or I lose everything underneath it. So above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of of our selfishness. We must or it kills us. Not that it's going to bother us, not that it's going to make our life a little bit uncomfortable, but it's going to kill us. Why? Because then we're going to get restless, we're going to get irritable, we're going to get discontent, and we're going to pick up the food which is destined to kill us. God makes that possible. A power outside of yourself has to make that possible. And why do we know that? Because our first step experiences have proven to us that us running our own lives is an absolute disaster. So there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us have had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. We had to have a power's help. So for me personally, once again, I have two parents that love each other. They're still married over 50-something years. We, I'm one of three kids. We were very loved. I, I grew up in you know middle-class, upper-middle-class um, neighborhood. I, I went to 12 years of private uh, religious schools. 
I was taught moral and philosophical convictions galore. It wasn't a matter of me not being taught what was right and what was wrong. I, the way that my brain is wired as a compulsive overeater, I could not live up to them. I couldn't. I, I always was making decisions based on self versus what I was taught was the right thing to do. So I need something outside of myself in order to do that. I could not reduce my self-centeredness by wishing or trying on my own power. And once again, I want to stress that you have to find a power outside of yourself. And I want to caution you that when we talk about page 55 and it says, deep down each every one of us is the fundamental idea of God, it still can't be me. It can't be me, oh, okay, well, I'm going to turn in and I'm going to look at, my, look at to myself for these answers. My, 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 I can't remember the exact term of the word, my, my, whatever, marshaled by my will has failed me utterly. I cannot do this. And that other people cannot do that. We're told over and over again, it's beyond human aid. I love this meeting. Vision for you is a very powerful meeting. But if you hang your hat on a vision for you, you're screwed. If you hang your hat on the many voices that you hear that are wonderful, you're screwed because we're all human beings. Thank God that Bill knew that because when Eddie came to him with that powerful question, choose your own conception of God, and, and Bill had his spiritual awakening and he went to see Dr. Bob six months later, Eddie picked up. Eddie drank again while Bill was in Akron. Thank goodness that Bill didn't say, well, Eddie's my God. And if Eddie's drinking, well, screw it, I'm going to have to drink. Eddie helped him find a power of his understanding, which allowed him to stay sober for the rest of his life. He, as much as he loved Eddie and as much as Eddie had an influence in his life, Eddie was not his higher power. So I just want to caution again, powerful, recovered people can shine the path. Recovered people can give you support. But what's going to change you is these steps and getting a connection with a power greater than yourself. So here comes the next paragraph. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided in the hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone to the new and triumphant arch which we passed to freedom. And I love the way that Bill gives us different visuals and different options. You know, God is the father, I am the child. It's a good visual for me because I had a father that was very loving and wonderful. Other people had parents that were, I'm going to say, going to curse, who were jerks. That may not be a good visual for you. The person, one I personally like, which is in here, which I use, is God is the teacher and I am the student. You know, that I have to be teachable today. God's going to teach and I'm going to be the student. I'm, going, I'm there to learn. So whatever that is for you, you know, it's open, it's broad and roomy. But we had to quit playing God, and I didn't realize how much I was playing God. You know, I was playing God in, in, in small ways of winning my brothers to do certain things, in larger ways saying that, um, you know, this, this Middle East thing is just, is, is just ridiculous, that ISIS shouldn't be the way they are, or, or whatever is happening in my local news, because I'm deciding what's right. I don't know. God loves us enough, whatever that power is for you, to give us free will. And I have to give other people free will as well. 
But I have to quit deciding what I think is best for other people because I know I hate when people do that to me. Okay, so now we're going to go to the top of 63. And I've often heard these described as the third step promises, and, and I've thought that for many, many, many moons. And I don't believe that's true today. I believe these are the promises of the program of recovery. Because let me tell you, for many years in LA, I did what I call the OA waltz. Steps one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. I never got these promises. These things never happened in my life. You know, when they happened, when I did step three, making the decision to move on with the rest of the work. Because that's all step three is. Step three is the decision to do the rest of the work. And another way I like to put it is the decision to stop making decisions. Because now I'm just going to take directions. Now I'm going to become the student. And when I do that, these promises are going to happen for me. But they're not going to happen if I stop at step three. Think of Jim from More About Alcoholism. He made a good beginning, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. What was the beginning? Steps one, two, and three. What did he fail to do? Steps four through 12. And what happened to Jim? He got drunk over and over and over. So it says to you, when we sincerely took such a position, and what is that position? That God is the father, I am the child. God is the principal, I am the agent. In my case, God is the teacher, I am the student. All sorts of remarkable things followed. Followed when we followed through the steps. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So once again, it's letting us know we have to live these steps. And he's not, he may not provide what I want, but he's going to provide what I need. One of my favorite um, meditations I do is, God, I do not know my own best interests. Because believe me, if I got everything I wanted, I, I'm, I've never been married. I've, I was always, I, I have to get married. Believe me, if I got what I wanted, I would be Elizabeth Taylor. I would have married and divorced eight times by now. Thank goodness I didn't get everything that I wanted. So he provides, if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to stay close to this power? And are we willing to do his work well and stop going back to self-will? Established in such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves and our little plans and designs. You know, once again, for me personally, when I wake up in the morning, I do my step 11 work. I say the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer. I get into the, let my dogs out, get into the shower, and that's my time for my little plans and designs. Okay, it's Tuesday. What do I have to do at work? What do I have? Oh, I want to go to yoga tonight. Okay, well, I have to make these return phone calls. What sponsees am I talking to today? All those different things. And then when I walk out of the shower, I say, okay, God, help me to live a life of invitation. Because I'm whatever God presents to me is what I'm going to work on. And whichever all my little plans and designs are now put in the back corner because I'm going to go according to what my higher power is telling me to do. And why is that? Because that next line, more and more we become interested in seeing what we can contribute to life. You know, I used to go to meetings because I need, 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 need a meeting. A gimme, 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 gimme. I knew now go to meetings to see what I can contribute. I went to this dog rescue this week to see what I could contribute versus I need to hang out with these dogs and I want to learn everything I want to learn. How can I be useful in that situation? I approached that at work too. I asked my boss, and my, and my reviews, how can I be more useful to you next year? As we felt the new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, that's amazing. My, my brain has been quiet. I'm enjoying a peace of mind. As we discover we can face life successfully, 
And for me personally, again, the definition of success has changed. Because <laughs> once again, success to me was marriage and 2.5 kids. I'm not married. I don't have kids. But I have a very absolutely fulfilling, happy life that I, I'm happier than I ever thought I would ever be by putting what God wants me to do first. As we become conscious of his presence, we begin to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. Because that's what I find. He says here, a new meaning, a new understanding. The life that I lived before doesn't exist anymore. I am now reborn. I have a purpose in life. My primary purpose is, is to help other compulsive overeaters. My primary purpose is to see how I can contribute to life. What a wonderful way to live. So now we're going to go over this prayer. And if you see this prayer, it's beautiful, but if we don't go over what the decision is, if I'm not making an informed decision, this prayer doesn't, doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't have any depth and weight. So that we are now at step three. Many of us said to our maker as we understand him. Once again, as we understand him, so whatever that is for you, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. So let's look at this line by line. I offer myself to, to God. I never offered myself to God in the program. I bargained with God. I treated him like Santa Claus. Here are all my little wishes, God, and if I'm a good little girl, then you're going to give them to me, right? And if I'm a bad little girl, I'm going to get coal in my stocking. So no conditions, no um, uh, strings attached. I'm offering myself to God to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. And I personally love the visual. My dad's a Marine, and uh, well before I was born. And I remember seeing pictures of him before he went into boot camp. And my dad's a tall, six foot two, string bean kind of guy. You know, this is the early '60s, so he's had the you know the Elvis DA, the you know jet black hair with all the, the whatever that curls they put in their hair to make him look like a DA. And then 11 weeks later, I see a picture of him when he comes out of boot camp, and he put on 30 or 40 pounds, both hair cut, this, this strength and this confidence. You wouldn't even know it was the same person. And when I talk to my dad about being in boot camp, they don't, talk, they don't teach you how to be a Marine when you walk into boot camp. What they do is they tear the civilian out of you. And once you're broken down and you have no identity as a civilian, then they build you up into the few and the proud. And my dad at 77, yeah, 77, if you say anything about Marine, he, he straightens his back. I mean, once a Marine, always a Marine. It's so ingrained in him. Hoorah. And that's what it happened here. All the stuff that's happened up to page 60 has torn us down. I fully concede I'm a compulsive overeater. I recognize lack of power is my dilemma. I know that God has to be everything or God is nothing. I know that it's alcoholic destruction or death. I know that I'm going to seek oblivion or I'm, going to, or I'm going to have to get a spiritual solution. So now that I'm broken down, I'm asking God to build me up into the person I was always meant to be. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Once again, I used to think of step three as relieve me of the bondage of food. This has nothing to do with food. Food is dead in step one. I'm now faced with the fact that I am the problem. Relieve me of me. God, when I wake up in the morning, help me to stop thinking about me today. When I think about me, I'm miserable. How can I get out of me? We're told on page 20, because we haven't even started the steps yet. As an ex-problem drinker, my life, my life depends on my constant thought of others and how I can meet their needs. Why? Because when I'm thinking of you, I'm not thinking of me. And this doesn't just mean OA. 
It means when I'm at work and I do a 10-step that says that I have to um, turn my thoughts to others, I'm asking my coworkers how they're doing. You know, if I'm in a CVS, I'm asking the, the person at the checkout counter how their, how their day was. I'm letting someone in in front of me in traffic who normally I would cut off. I'm parking in my driveway and I see an older person carrying their groceries in and I'm offering to help them because that's how I get relief from me is by thinking of somebody else. So that I can better do his will because when I do God's will, I'm happier. Take away my difficulties and victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. Not take away my difficulties so that I feel better, so that my life is easier. You know, that's when I mean when I say I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. I never felt useful. You know, I am blessed. I, I have been morbidly obese, which was my diagnosis at 23, size 24. I have been a size 2 where I was lost my menstrual cycle and my hair was falling out. And I've been the current size I am now, an 8'10", binging and purging and exercising to the point I can't walk. I see that as a blessing because whoever comes to me for help, I can help them identify in. When I take a fifth step, which is the most honored and humble thing that I do in this program, and I hear people with some of the most horrific childhoods, I think to myself, wow, they're going to be able to help people that I can't. Because people are going to come in and say, yeah, this might work for you, but you don't understand I was molested. You don't understand I'm in the most vicious divorce. You don't understand I lost a child to a, a cancer. But there are people in this program who have gone through those difficulties. They've stayed abstinent and happy, and they're going to bear witness to you that it's possible, regardless of what's going on, to remain peaceful. And the person is going to get strength from that. The person who lost their child is going to find usefulness in being able to help other women who have lost their children. That's the wonderful thing. I'm going to bear witness to the fact that I know what it was like to suffer in compulsive overeating before I found OA. And let me tell you, I know what it's like to suffer from compulsive overeating decades while being in OA. And you do not need to do that anymore. So it's made, um, it says, we fought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at least abandon ourselves utterly. That's some big words there. Not partially, not when it's convenient, not on the weekends only like I used to diet, you know. Monday through Friday I'm going to diet and Saturday and Sunday I'm going to do whatever I want with the food. I have to abandon myself utterly to this power. Okay. And it says in the next paragraph, the wording was, of course, quite optional so long as we expressed the idea. So this, we now went over what's the idea in there. We, the third step is essential. We have to take this third step to move forward with the book. You can change the wording, but we can't change the sentiment. We can't say, well, yeah, I'm going to take this third step, but I'm still going to exert myself well. Yeah, I'm going to take this step, but I, I still think I want to keep this to myself. I'm not going to give this over to a power greater than myself. The sentiment needs to be there, but the wording is optional. And once again, God of our own understanding. Believe me, the God of my childhood is not the God I have today. The God that I got as an adult is not the God I have today. The God I had when I first came into OA is not the God I have today. The God I had that I, when I first recovered is not the God I have today. I am growing constantly in understanding. In fact, the way I say it is it's a God beyond my understanding because if I can understand God, he's not big enough to help me. 
So we're once again making a decision. You don't have to have any definite idea. What you have to be convinced of, once again, is that you suck as the manager of your life. And if your lack of power is your dilemma, you're going to need a power. So all you're doing now is making a decision to seek that power. You don't know how it's going to turn out. But your step one experiences are going to convince you to do that. And I'm just going to finish up with this next paragraph. It says, next we launched in the course of vigorous action. This is the bottom of 63. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning. Many of us have never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to, be, to face and be rid of the things of ourselves which have been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom. So we had to get down the causes and conditions. So they're warning us that this step three decision is vital and crucial. But if we don't go on with the rest of the work, it means nothing. Nothing. You know, I think to myself, for five years I made a decision to go back to grad school. I never went back to grad school. It wasn't until I made the decision and started to call some grad schools, found out I had to take the GREs and study for it, talk to my company about tuition reimbursement, see, saw how much I could afford, put in applications. That's when I went back to grad school. So let me tell you also, I didn't get a graduate degree by just getting into grad school. I had to take all the courses they told me I had to take. You know, we often talk about here that, you know, everything is suggested. And I read a lot of must on these books. There's 81 must in the first 164 pages. So I like to use this analogy. If I go to school and I want an accounting degree, they're going to give me a curriculum of all my required classes. And I'm going to get some electives, but they're going to be requirement classes. I can go to school for four years, which is what it takes to get an accounting degree. But if I don't take those requirements, I'm not getting the accounting degree. I might have however, 100 some 60 credits or whatever it is for a four-year degree, but if I don't take the required courses, if I decide to take all electives, if I decide to take whatever classes I feel like taking versus the courses the school is telling me I need in order to graduate, I'm not going to graduate. So I have to remember, yeah, maybe these things are suggested, but I'm not going to get the effect unless I do the must, unless I do these requirements. And once I'm end with this, it says there's two, there's two time frames here when you start your step four. It says next, and it says at once. And I was told I loved it. How do you know you finished step four? I mean, you finished step three because you started step four. If you haven't started step four, you haven't done step three yet. And I think so often we're told in the rooms you can't start step four until you're six months abstinence, like you're abstinent. No, you make this decision and you start the program of action which is going to relieve you of the mental obsession because until we get that spiritual awakening, we are not going to be free of the obsession and we're holding our breath underwater. So this decision, once more, though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it would have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. And with that, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Leah. Thank you, Kim, for this wonderful, thorough, and revealing study of Step 3. We thank you for your personal insights and your experience always. Kim's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of the recording, so please stay tuned for that. And now we'll open up the floor for any questions you might have for Kim related to this presentation to Step 3. 
something else this that might Laura. be on your mind. This is Laura. Yes, good morning. Okay, Lee. one moment. Anyone else? Lauren S. Lauren S. Hi, Lauren. Anyone else? Eve A. Eve A. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, Okay. great. Let's start with Laura, please. Go ahead, Laura. Good morning. Thank you, Leah. Uh, good morning, everybody. This is Laura G., Compulsive Overeater. Um, I had a question about the... Um, Everything you said, uh, what really sticks out is the bewilderment in regards to he's changing. Uh, He's different every day, God. And um, I know, I know, I know that. And sometimes I feel with that, that I can't, I don't seem to maintain or obtain a focus. I'm constantly questioning or wondering, okay, well, where, where do I go with this? What What do you want me to do with this? I can't get this where well, I don't know what to do with that. I, what what do you do when you get into those dilemmas relate to the marine concept in the in the study concept? All that stuff makes complete sense. But when I'm caught up in the question of the intent of where I'm supposed to go with all these emotions that come falling in like a Niagara Falls, I wonder how do I center? It seems so profound sometimes. Thank you. Laura, can I ask you where you are in your step work? Never have gotten through four. I've been trying to for a long time. And right now, today, last night, yesterday, I started writing. So, And he is number one in everything in regards to all my resentments, all my fears, all my concerns, everything. Are you abstinent, too, when you're doing this? I'd say last night, as in many other nights that I tried to be, I woke up this morning with so much joy because I was. My abstinence is stopped eating in bed as of this moment, and I stopped. And when I do stop, it's like, wow, I, it's a stronger bond to him. But I, 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 I start again, and why I think I do is because I cannot find a connection where I'm supported in my person, only with so, him. It's so like weird. So how long have you been after this? Are you only been after in a couple of days? Is that what you're saying? It comes and goes, but as of today, as of, as of today, one day. I'll say one day as of today. Okay, I've got I've got fabulous news for you. You sh- you shouldn't be feeling connected to a higher power right now, because that that's where I I really realized is I I thought I should be feeling it now, and the big book is letting us know we're not going to get a connection. What what we're looking for is access to that power. If you're only getting a couple days together, you're not even at the decision part, let alone the fourth step. You need to go back into the book and start at the doctor's opinion and you have to put the food down 100%. It means all behaviors, all substances, 100%. Get in this book, get a recovered person and start walking through the book. We're not going to get access to that power till step 11. Once we're in step 11, that's when we start to grow in effectiveness and understanding. We're going to start being seekers. The big book encourages us to take advantage of what spiritual writers have to do. But the first thing we have to do is get access to that power. If we could get access to that power by just putting the food down, then we wouldn't need the steps. If we could get access to that power in step three, then we wouldn't need steps four through 12. So the good news is it sounds like you are where you should be in the sense you should feel a need for that power. That's what step one and two is teaching us, the need for a power greater than ourselves. So my suggestion is you've got to 
Get with the recovered person. Find out specifically what your abstinence is. You have to put down all that food 100%. Put your fourth step to the side. We cannot do a fourth step drunk. We don't have the clarity of mind to do a fourth step. In fact, my personal experience is doing a fourth step drunk is going to make the binging worse because I'm dragging up all those things that I eat, and since I'm still in the allergy, I'm just going to eat more and more. So that's my suggestion is call some recovered people. Make, you know, find out what your abstinence is and recognize that you're not going to get access to that power until you get through all the steps abstinently. Thank I hope you, that thank you. Far. It does immensely. Thank you. Thanks, Laura G., for your question. Lauren S., your turn. <clears throat> thank you. Hi, Kim. Hi, buddy. Hi. <laughs> and hi, everybody. I know this isn't about putting platforms on people. We survive in a herd. Um, okay, so when I go through step three and I take people through, I do certain actions, writing, transcriptions, reading the book, doing blah, blah, you know, things that have worked for me and work for other people, God willing. Kim, how do you specifically take sponsees through Step three. Honestly, just the way we did right now. I take them through in one session. It takes about a half hour. They make the decision. They say, you know, we say the prayer, and we and then the next time that we meet, we start the four step instructions. You know, if if you look at if you look at working with others, and I have to tell you, I'm not the sufficient, but I always try to align myself with what the big book says that the way that it was approached back then was they would take a few hours with someone and basically take them through steps one and two, and they would say, okay, do you want to make a decision about this? And they would come back, and that person would decide whether to make a decision. So in the second session they took with people, they, they took them step, to step three and immediately gave them the information for step four. Um, so I, I believe this is simply a decision. I don't drag it out. And this is, let me just kind of give you... This is where one of my prejudices, once again, looking about out what I was told in the fellowship, which confused me. When you look at the steps on the wall, there's 12 of them there, and they seem to have equal importance and take equal amount of time. That's not the way the big book presents it. So step three, I always thought, okay, well, step three, if, if I do one step a month, I have to spend a month on step three. That makes sense because it's all logical in my brain. Step three is simply the decision to move on with the rest of the work. So I simply take them through just the way I did right now. And the next time I meet with them, I give them, I start giving them four-step instructions. And once again, me personally, I only give my, my girls um, seven to ten days to do their four-step because they need to get rid of this stuff. Sitting in your four-step is just giving you longer periods of time for that mental twist to come in and take you down. I know it's different for people, and I, I really – believe the choreography of God that if, if you're someone that needs to write about it, you're going to, be, you're going to find someone who needs a lot of writing. If you, if you need to get through this quickly, you're going to find someone who's going to take you through it quickly. And there's, um, you know, that God will bring people together that will be able to help each other. So if you, what you're doing is working, Lauren, I wouldn't change anything. With that, I pass. Thank you, Lauren S., for your question. Eve A., please, your turn.
star one to unmute, Eve. Hi, this is Eve A. Can you hear me now? Yes. Thank you very much, Leah, and, and thank you, Kim, for your service. My question is that I broke in my abstinence during writing my step four, and now I have to, I'm, I've been abstinent for a week. And when can I start writing again? I would I would talk to your sponsor about that Eve because she's the one who's going to know. I mean, what we do we have to we have to go back and we have to look at steps one, two, and three. You know, fully conceding is there some sort of lurking notion in there that you can pick up and get back on track? You know, do you really feel you need a higher power, or are you thinking that you can you can do this yourself? You have to go back into that material, but how long that is 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 different for everybody. You know, I, I try different things with different people, and what seems to work, I continue to do, and what doesn't, I, I discontinue doing. Um, but the other thing I just want to stress, I don't know how long we were in your fourth step, but we got to get through this stuff quickly. My, my observation, once again, I was just to differentiate my opinion, but my opinion and observation is the problem is people stay in the fourth step, fourth step way too long, and that mental twist just takes them down. So you have to go back and get thorough. And one of the things I have found that has worked for me personally is yeah. when I start the four-step instructions with someone, we make an appointment for the fifth step. Because that way, at least you know how long you have to hold your breath underwater until you get to, to dump that information. Um, so I don't know if that would be helpful, is to get back, talk to your sponsor, and when you start writing again, make an appointment so that you know there's a definite period of time that you have to be white-knuckling it to get through the steps. Thank you, Eve, for that question. Who's next with a question? Star one to unmute to identify yourself. Carol G. Carol G. Who else? Susie B. Susie B. Anyone else? If you have a question on your mind, I'm sure it's on about a dozen other people's minds, so please don't hesitate to ask questions. Ronnie P. Ronnie P. Hello. Susan S., I have a question. And Susan S. Okay, let's go with that. Carol G., your turn. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you, Vision, for you, and thank you, Kim. That was wonderful. It's Carol G., recovered in England. I have a question, well, two questions that come out of the... Um, the last paragraph at the bottom of page 63, about the third step prayer, the wording was, of course, quite optional, so long as we expressed the idea, voicing it without reservation. I was wondering if you could unpack what sort of reservation they're, they're expecting it to have there. And something that I've always wondered about, and you're the perfect person for me to ask is, this is a beginning, and if humbly made, an effect, sometimes a very great one, will be felt at once. Does that actually link back to the doctor's opinion effect that we're here talking about? I'd be really grateful for that. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, Carol. Um, without, without reservation, to me, it links back to the A, B, and C. You know, are we thoroughly convinced of those? Or are we trying to still figure out a way that we can work this our way? Do we still think that we're, we're different? Do we still think there's a different way that we can work the program? You know, for me, a lot of it was, yeah, these alcoholics have to do it, but I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm totally different. That was a big reservation that I had. Um, 
So to me, it's that whole idea of fully conceding to our innermost selves that we are a compulsive overeater. Understanding that lack of power is my dilemma. Um, so if, if the reservations would be steps one and two. And if we are totally convinced, you know, the conclusions of one and two, then we can voice this without reservation. So I hope that makes sense. Um, as far as a, 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 a great effect happening at once, my, my personal belief is everything goes back to the doctor's opinion. <laughs> Every time I, I it just, it, it's just the foundation. The rest of the book doesn't make sense without it. Um, but once again, it, it, you can have a great effect, but it's going to have no lasting effect unless you continue on to work. So one of the things that I do is, once again, this is my opinion, my personal, is after my sponsees take um, step three, I have them call newcomers. And I have them tell them what that experience was like. Because a lot of times the experience we have doesn't feel real until we share it to some, with someone else. You know, we could talk to someone, you know, I tell them, tell them you've had the food down the entire time. Tell them it's only been a couple weeks. Tell them that, um, you know, what this experience was like for you. Give them hope that they don't have to keep suffering the disease. And I find that a lot of times the girls I work with, they get a, a much greater effect from sharing this third step experience than me actually explaining the third step to them. Does that make sense? I'm hoping that, hoping that helped, Carol. Let's assume her silence means yes. Okay, next question. Susie B., please. Susie B, star one to unmute. Thank you. I'm sorry. Kim, thank you so much for your share. Um, I worked the steps in OA, AA, and Al-Anon last year. And um, one of my other sponsors in another program told me that I didn't need OA to focus on these other ones. But I did, I did not agree, and eventually I came back to OA because I, I find that's definitely one of my main addictions. So it's difficult for me to, to do the steps again because I feel like I've already done them. I guess my question is, my question is obviously something's wrong if I got back into the food. Yeah, that was my question. If, if you're if if you're able to stay out of the food, I'll I'll tell you. Page twenty five was a big one for me because I had done the steps through a lot of other material, both conference approved and non conference approved. And when someone brought me to page twenty five, that second full paragraph, it says here the great fact is just this and nothing less that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life towards our fellows and towards God's universe. And I had to be hit with the fact that I had a lot of deep experiences in LA. Now, I am not multiply addicted, so I just want to let you know, if, if you, let you, I would talk to people who have that experience because I do not have that experience of working steps in other programs. Um, but for in LA, it was a deep experience coming in and finding out I had a disease. It was a deep exp- spiritual experience to be around people who suffered like I did. But I had to admit, if I could not stay out of the food, it wasn't effective. 
And if it wasn't effective, I had to be open to a new experience. And we talk about on page 164, you know, we cannot transmit something we haven't got. That is why, you know, if someone wants to go through other material, either a conference approved or non-conference approved with me with the steps, I have to be humble enough to say, you know what, that stuff didn't work for me. The only thing that has worked for me is working these steps specifically through the big book. I know people that have recovered, you know, my mother's one of them who recovered actually in, in LA using Aladon material because she recovered in the 70s when there wasn't LA material. So she used Aladon material and she recovered that way. I can't transmit that. There's people out there who have recovered through other material. So if you want to pursue that through other material, go right ahead and do that. But what I want you to think about is, was it effective? If you can't stay out of the food, my suggestion is to just start at the doctor's opinion, grab someone that's recovered, and work through the steps because it was no longer good enough for me to have a deep spiritual experience and then be going back into the food every few months. I needed an effective experience. I wanted permanent recovery, which this book promises me as long as I continue to live in these steps. I hope that's wonderful. Helps. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susie. Lonnie P, your turn. Hi, this is Lonnie. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Okay, wonderful. Hi, everybody. Uh, Lonnie P, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. My question really stems around going back into that um, selfish, self-seeking behavior, like trying to run the show. Um, you know, I, I seek God and I do those things, but yet I still revert back to that behavior more than I care to admit. Um, what did you do that, that really caused that shift for you? Well, let me go through the steps, right? I think I've heard you on the line. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you know, as a recovered person, you know, the reason I need to live in these steps is because I'm always going to try to go back to self. You know, um, you know, one of the things I found in step 11 is I really, I'm a seeker. You know, I'm always looking for different spiritual books and spiritual paths and asking people what they're doing. And um, just to give you a silly example, I mean, I think of the Disney show where, you know, there's a good goofy and a bad goofy on your shoulder and, and they're trying to figure out which goofy to listen to. And there's an American Indian practice that talks about um, two wolves. There's the wolf of the self or the lower self and the wolf of the higher self or the spirit, spirit wolf. And every day I wake up and I have to make a decision, am I going to fill, am I, which wolf am I going to feed? Which goofy am I going to listen to? So that's why I have to live in 10, 11, and 12 is because I'm going to, if, I, if I get disconnected from that power, I am going to go back to self. I mean, that's, that's part of being a human being. I'm never going to... Um, rise above that, which is why I personally like to use pages 60 to 64 as part of my step 11, because if I'm identifying more in with pages 60 to 64, I'm reverting back to self. If I'm identifying more into pages 86 to 88, I'm more identifying in with the power of my understanding. So that's, that's why we have to, as recovered people, be constantly moving forward. I love the visual of I'm always walking up a down escalator. You know, if I'm not in motion, if I'm not living in 10, 11, and 12, and that can't be a canned saying, I have to be actively living in 10, 11, and 12 every day, I'm going to revert back to self. So I actually have that one paragraph with all those questions in my iPhone. And if I start to get a little bit, you know, ramped up at work and I do a 10-step at work, I go into the bathroom and I will read 
you know, am I the victim of a delusion that I can rest satisfaction out and my boss if only I manage well? And I set a timer for two minutes, and I get quiet with that idea because I got to use that spiritual barometer to see who I'm, you know, am I closer to God or am I closer to self? Does that make sense? I hope so. But, that, but that, that's our constant struggle. We get through these steps to get a connection with the power, but we're only guaranteed a daily reprieve. So we have to make sure that we are constantly in a seeking mode in order to stay connected with that power. Without a pass. Thank you, Lonnie P., for the question. Susan S., it's your turn. Susan S., perhaps you have to press star 1 to unmute. Yes, thank you. Hi. Yes, uh, Mike, thank you. I was un- I was muted. Uh, yeah, my question is, how important do you think it is to define what your abstinence is? And I, and I ask that because I've, I've been through the steps with an OAPP sponsor, and, I, and I've been breaking my abstinence, I guess, recently, and, and I, I don't have a clear – and whenever I say to my sponsor, like I'll, I'll start to talk about the food and I'll say – I really think I should go back to giving up sugar. The, her response will be, go back to steps one, two, and three. And then, like, there's this wanting to never talk about the food. And yet, um, I'm just confused because it almost seems, I'm just, I'm confused. Um, I'm, I'm actually thinking maybe it's both. Maybe both are necessary. Because just just trying to go back to one, two, or three that that hasn't been working for me. I keep breaking my abstinence, or I keep um, keep I keep getting back into the food. Like I'll get a few days together, and then I'll eat whatever I want, and and then I just if I eat if I'm eating sugar and carbs weekly, then I just crave more of those. And so I um I'll say this delicately. Uh, did you work through all the steps with your LAPP sponsor? I did, yes. Okay. I, I feel this is supported by the big book. Um, you have to be abstinent in order to work the steps. You, you're, not gonna, you're not recovered if you work the steps drunk. You're not. And you can see that because you still keep going back to this food. In the doctor's opinion, um, there's multiple places it talks, but one of them is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer and then it says, of course, an alcoholic ought to be free from his physical craving for liquor. And this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. If, if you went into an AA meeting and said, you know what, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a gin and tonic girl. I love my gin and tonic, but I really want to do these steps. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to drink light beer while I'm doing the steps, and that should help me out. They mm-hmm. would shut me down. Yet in OA, we will stay in meetings, which is what you're hearing. Don't worry about it. Just keep yeah. working the steps, and you'll get abstinent. In my right. opinion, and I, and I feel very strongly about this, so I'm going to curse in the line. That's bullshit. It's absolute yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Abstinence, abstinence is black and white. Let me just explain this. There's a difference between a food plan and abstinence. Abstinence mm-hmm. is black and white. That's why we say that we're either abstinent or you're not. 
Foods either create the phenomenon of craving or they don't. And that's the challenge we have in our program. What creates the phenomenon of craving in you may not create the phenomenon of craving in me and vice versa. But we have to right. find from that doctor's opinion what creates the phenomenon of craving. What she's asking you to do is you're allergic to strawberries, Susan, but what I want you to do is, in, and you break out in a rash, I want you to mm-hmm. eat the strawberries and I want you to do the steps, and eventually you're not going to break out in the rash. Right. That sounds insane, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, I because, it, because it's, it's a physical manifestation. When you eat strawberries, you break out in the rash. It's a physical right. manifestation. If you ingest certain substances you have an allergy to, you're going to have that allergic reaction. So, right. so my suggestion is you've got to get clear on what your accidents is. You have to put all those foods down 100%. Now, your food plan may change, meaning that you might have an idea of what your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, maybe you have two snacks. Maybe later on you're only going to have one snack. Maybe you're going to go from night work to day work and you're going to have to move the food that does not create the phenomenon of craving will change. You know, as a woman, when you get pregnant, when you breastfeed, I just went through menopause early as a 48-year-old. I had to make some changes mm-hmm. to my food plan. It did not yeah. change my abstinence. Yeah. Does that make sense? That, yeah, that, that's really, really helpful. And that's what that's what... I feel like my higher power has been telling me. I, I don't. I, I, my um, and that it has to be both. And and that no, maybe, no, not not that it has to be both. It has to be abstinence first, and then the steps. You have to be abstinent in order to work. That there is an order to this. First, uh-huh. you must get abstinent. Then you work right. the steps. Yeah. Well, it's not both at the same time either. You have to get abstinent now. Once again, I, when I take you through the doctor's thing, this is me personally, I assume people are drunk because they've been working a food plan someone has given them. So we go through the doctor's opinion, we get clear on what those foods are, they say they, they commit to put them down 100% and then we continue. So maybe you're unclear, which is why you have to get into the doctor's opinion, to know what your abstinence is. But once you know what it is, 100% abstinence, proceed with the steps. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think your experience is telling you that the other way doesn't work. If I'm not mistaken, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, it's not working to 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 just folk to to ignore the abstinence part and just focus on the steps. That is not working. Yeah. Thank you for the question. I'm sure a lot of people needed to hear that. Thanks. Yes, thank you, Susan F, for helping to clarify all that this morning. Very important point. Moving on. Who else has a question for Kim this morning? Star one to unmute. Lisa B. Lisa B. Anyone else? Anyone else? Questions related to step three? Either going through that process yourself or perhaps you have a question from a sponsorship perspective? Uh, hello? Yes? This is Mary P., uh, and I have a question. Okay, great. Anyone else? Leah, uh, Leah, this is Laura G. again, and I, I don't have another question, but I wanted, I was hoping she could make reference to those pages that she spoke of. Okay, okay, hold on. We'll take care of that. Okay, so let's go to Lisa B. for her question, please. Good morning. Thank you so much for your service. Uh, this has just been really great to hear people's questions and be part of the group. Um, I have 
been abstinent for 21 days, and uh, it's truly a miracle. I am just a little confused because I am new to this whole OA process and finally have realized that I suffer from the illness of compulsory overeating. And so I've been abstinent, and so is it now that I would try and seek a sponsor to start working the steps? I'm just a little confused. I don't know what to do, so to speak. I went to my first OA meeting yesterday, so I uh, would appreciate any suggestions. Well, if you've been abstinent for 21 days, I suggest you get a sponsor at day one. Not to be flippant, but we, we need support. You know, we need we need to have people helping us through these steps. I, I heard a speaker say, you know, when do you start the steps? And the the, the sponsor says, well, if, you, if you're done, as soon as you're done throwing up, meaning you know you're you're drunk the night that night, and the next morning you're throwing up, and start the steps right then. We have to start the steps right away. We're in a race against time, against our mind. Um, and I would get in touch with someone right away, Lisa, especially if you're not familiar with OA. You have to know what abstinence is. Like once again, a lot of times abstinence is we think that it's limiting our calories so we can lose weight. We have to get clear on what those foods are that create that phenomenon of craving. And what, what happens, at least in my experience, and as people do, is they can hold it together for 20 days or something, and then they wind up picking up because they're still ingesting some foods that are, and that craving is overtaking them. Um, but we need, to put, we need to start the steps immediately. Um, that's, and that's why you, you, you see over and over again in the big book, at once, next. This is only a beginning. Um, all these different words letting us know that there's a momentum there um, that, that, that has to be kept moving because we are in a race against that mental twist and we don't know when it's going to come in and take us down. Um, a speaker I like, and this is for CA, for Cocaine Anonymous, and he said it's not a uh, scientific thing, but he called their world service and he said that, you know, they, they give out these chips, and they gave out 10,000 desire chips in a year. They gave out 6,000 30-day chips, and they only gave out 1,000 um, one-year chips. And, you know, he's saying if you don't get into the steps, your chances of lasting 30 days and past that is really, really slim, if you're the real alcoholic, if you're the real compulsive overeater. If, you, if you're just a hard eater, yeah, you should be fine. Maybe going to meetings and talking to people is enough for you. But if you are the compulsive overeater of the type they describe in this book, 21 days of abstinence is wonderful, but if you want to have any kind of sustained, happy abstinence, you've got to get in those steps right now. Right now. I kind of dabbled in the past in uh, the intellectual route of reading everything and got to step four and was still completely in the food. Uh, no fault of my sponsor, but never really understood that I needed to be abstinent um, in order to have a clear brain to work through things. So I appreciate your input about it's a race against my mind. That really has just hit home. Thanks so much. Thank you, Lisa B. Mary P., your turn. Good morning. Um, good morning, Kim, and thank you so much for your service. I think you may have just answered my question uh, pretty much because I, I wanted to ask you what your opinion was on how long someone needed to be abstinent before they continue, you know, work the steps. Okay. My, my, my personal experience is I assume everyone is drunk the first time I work with them because mm -hmm. I think most people are following the food plan they were handed in a meeting, a doctor gave them, and they haven't looked at what actually creates that phenomenon of craving. 
So when we go through that doctor's opinion, and as I say, this is me personally. I take them through an hour, an hour and a half on a weekend. And they commit, we identify those foods, they commit to putting them down 100%. And then we make appointments. And I speak to people three days a week. So maybe it's one day or two days that we're going to speak again. And we just started them Bill's story. So, you know, 24 hours is enough. And that's personally one of the reasons I love my home group is actually just finishing up right now. I love my home group on Sunday morning because we get a lot of people that are binging on Saturday night and we, we offer to take them through that doctor's opinion and get them, a, you know, hopefully get them a sponsor that day so they can start working the steps immediately. Because what are we most desperate when we're, when we're, we're hurting from the, from the bitch? You know, and once again, this is my personal experience. You know, if I'm 21 days abstinent like Lisa was, I don't need higher power anymore. I've done it on my own. My willingness is gone. Where's my willingness at, a, at its height? On, on Sunday morning after I binged till 11.59 and gave myself that cutoff, and now I've got the shakes on Sunday morning, and I'm like, holy crap, how am I going to last today? So my personal opinion is you've got to get those people when that lucid interval happens, and it, it can happen within 24 hours after the last binge. Thank you, Mary P. And, of course, Kim, uh, Laura G. had a request for you to identify the pages that you had been speaking about. Um, I'm going to try to remember. From the doctor's opinion, if she was talking about that, it's imperative that a man frame be clear. That's on page XXVI in the fourth edition. Um, of course, an alcoholic ought to be free from the physical craving is on XXVII. And then when I was talking about page 25 with a deep and effective spiritual experience, that is page 25, the second full paragraph. I don't think I referenced anything else. The, the one I was referring to, the I, oh. 25 is definitely one of them, but the one I was referring to was the two sets that you said, are you closer to yourself or are you closer to God? Those two different sets of pages. Thank you. Okay. Pages, what we just went over, pages 60 to 63, which is step three, which is talking about self. So that's when I know I'm closer to self, if I can identify him with those pages, 60 to 64. Um, 86 and 88 is steps 10 and 11. So that's when I'm connected with the power. So if I'm identifying more in with those pages, it means I'm connected. So I use them both as, as a way to see, you know, which wolf, like I said, which wolf I'm feeding. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Okay, who else with questions for Kim? This is the last call. I'm Diane. I'm a compulsive overeater. Diane. Who else? Deborah R. Deborah R. Anyone else? Questions? If it's on your mind, it's on other people's minds. Star one to unmute. Anyone else with questions? Laura Z. Laura B. Laura Z. I'm sorry. Hi, Laura Z. Yes. Okay. Anyone else? Hello. That last name again. I'm sorry. Carol C. Carol C. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Let's start with Diane. Your turn. Okay, thank you. I'm Diane T., and I'm in Southern California. And I have a question for you, Kim, and I um, really appreciate your service and all that you do. Um, 
I understand uh, the concept of being abstinent and abstaining from trigger foods that cause the phenomenon of craving. I'm, but I'm, how can you determine quantity that someone should be eating? Of course, I mean, I can overeat on abstinent food just as just as well. I mean, I can eat a whole baked chicken. I mean, it, you know, so I'm 61 years old. I'm six foot one. I'm 326 pounds. How would you determine how much quantity I should be eating, or is it the same for everyone? Thanks for the question, Diane. Um, I have no idea how much you should be eating, which is why we go to medical professionals for that information. What I can teach you as a compulsive overeater is the phenomenon of craving. What we're craving is an effect, an effect produced by alcohol, an effect produced by certain foods. Um, what you need to eat for your specific height, um, medical condition, age, is should be determined by a medical professional. And that's why we have a difference between abstinence and a food plan. And I just want to make one point. Once again, we're talking about the effect produced. So for some of us, and I'm one of them personally, if I can't get that effect from a Snickers bar, I can get that effect from eating too many mashed potatoes. Mm. So part of my abstinence is actually willing to measure it because of the effect. Other people might be told to eat, let's say, four ounces of mashed potatoes because it's a part of their food plan and their doctor is telling them nutritionally that's how much they need. I'm weighing and measuring my mashed potatoes because I get an effect from eating too many mashed potatoes. Do you see the difference there? Uh-huh. So we have to know what is the what creates the effect, and we have to abstain from that as part of our abstinence. And then we have to know what our food plan is as a medical professional can tell us what we need to be an optimum health for our specific situation. So you have to differentiate the two. If, 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 if the quantities is because you're creating an effect, you're going to have to address that in your abstinence. If the quantity is because you're not sure how much you should be eating for your medical condition, a doctor can help you with that or a, or a medical professional. Compulsive overeaters should not be telling each other what they should be eating um, because we are not medical professionals. Thank Thanks you, for getting Diane. up early, Diane. Thanks for getting up early. <laughs> mm-hmm. Deborah R., your turn. Deborah R., star one to unmute. Hi, this is Deborah R., and uh, good morning, a vision for your fellows. And, Kim, thank you very much. Um, I do enjoy listening to you and and, um, gleam a lot of good uh, understanding of how this program works. My question is um, related to the the food commitment um, or... You mentioned talking an hour and a half with an appointment on a weekend, to, you know, with, um, with this new person, so could it help them understand the doctor's opinion? Um, to be abstinent, um, I find it good to follow a food plan, and yes, getting that from a professional. What has been your experience? Um, and I heard you say some you try something if it works and others you try others and if it doesn't you don't use it again I come from a background where I got a food plan from a nutritionist and I follow it I know I've worked with many people who 
go, well, I don't know what to have. Um, and how much, let's see, keep this simple, how much time and your method of helping people get started on this food plan do you put in? Or um, do you just say, go see the nutritionist and then they, so it's kind of muddled, but if you get my idea, some people can follow plans and others go, well, what do you mean by a protein? What do you mean by a starch? Thank you. Thanks, Deborah. I just want to clarify something. When I said if something works, I keep doing it, and something works, I don't. I'm not talking about the food, first of all. You know, there's a very specific path through these steps, but we're all individuals and have different personalities. So what I mean by that was I used to take people line through line through the book. Now I kind of cherry pick stuff because I've learned the book well enough after four years. Um, there's some people I find that really um, they need to read ahead of time in order to think about it. Other people get prejudices, so we read it for, for the first time together. Some people do well with writing. Some people complicate things with writing. So I'm talking about that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about the food. That, that, and that's why I believe that, you know, where each of us have different strengths that we're going to bring to our, our how we work with others, and God's going to bring people together. I'll just give you an example. I'm very professorial. I'm very, you know, uh, just professorial. Someone who wants a warm and fuzzy sponsor is not going to be attracted to me. They're not, because I'm not that way. I want to get, I'm very much focused on the book, getting you through the book. Um, as far as the food, once again, God bringing people to me, I tend to attract and work with people that have been away a long time, because that's what my history is. It's not a matter of them not having a food plan. It's a matter of them not following a food plan, because they're still ingesting some foods. I personally do not get very involved with people's foods. I, I encourage them to see a nutritionist. We have that pamphlet, um, you know, a dignity of choice. You know, my thing is I want them to be absent. I want them to have the food down so they have the clarity of mind to get through the steps. Most of my people get through the I thought I'm talking too much. Once you get through the steps, if you need to adjust your food plan, you're not, you know, most people get through this, no, clarity. Right. Most of the people I work with get through the steps in six to eight weeks. If you have 100 pounds to lose, you're not going to lose 100 pounds in six to eight weeks. So after you get through the steps, then you can go back to a nutritionist and whatever. I just don't want you ingesting your binge foods. That's the bottom line. You're right. There are people like that. I don't tend to see a lot of them. I tend to get the people that are returning. There's, there's sponsors out there that, are, that will get involved with that. And once again, I trust that God will match up those people that need each other. But my mission is to help you get through the steps for a spiritual awakening. My mission is not to give you, is not to be a nutritionist. My mission is not to be your food buddy. My, my, my mission is not to, to make sure that you're dieting the way that you need to diet. My mission is to help you put the food down and get you through these steps so you can get connection with a higher power and attain neutrality around the food so you then can address maybe in a larger or more specific scale how you can adjust your food to be optimally healthy. I hope that makes sense. Thank you, Deborah R. Mara Z, your turn, star one to unmute, please. Leah, did you call Mara Z? Exactly, yes. I was unmuting. Thank you so much for your service. Kim, thank you so much for, thank you so much for being a Jersey girl and shooting straight from the hip. I just love that. Um, I think you might have touched on my question. I'm going to ask it anyway, and you can tell me if you just did. 
you mentioned working with someone to get their food down and working through the steps quickly. My question is, I tend to get a lot of newcomers who are in the food. And my question is, how long do I work with them to identify their foods and to get them clean? If, I, if it's taking me a week, I know there's something wrong. And in fact, I just ended a relationship because she kept picking up. She didn't have the gift of desperation. But how long does it usually take? Do I just give them the benefit of my information and my knowledge on that subject, and then I let them go and say, when you've got three days of abstinence, call me back and we'll start working the steps? How do you work that if you have any experience in that? And thank you so much. Thanks, Mara. Um, you know, I always tell people to reread Working with Others. You know, 89 through 96, 97 really talks about you know, how we approach people. Um, and it's different, it's, you know, it's going to be different for each person I work with, and it's going to be different for each um, sponsor who works with people, because they're going to, like I said, all of us are different. But I'm just going to read a couple of lines here. On page 90, it says, it does not, if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste your time trying to persuade him. It says on page 96, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced he cannot recover by himself. I like that because if I'm in there playing around and trying to, you know, I'll love you till you love yourself and all this stuff that we say in the rooms, how are they going to be convinced they can't do it themselves if we're not ever letting them be by themselves? You know, um, on page 94... It says, maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all for the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better he will, the more likely he will be to follow your suggestion. So I kind of feel like my job, really, when I talk to someone new, is just to disturb them. That's all. I, I, I can't be invested in whether they work with me. I can't be invested in whether they get through the steps. I'm there to prevent a solution. And if you want to take my hand and, and put the food down and work with me, fabulous. If you don't, then go out and do more research. You know, it, it's painful. And the thing I always filter through, Mara, is, is going into step 11. Can I be useful to this person? Am I wanting to hang out, you know, to keep continuing with them because I want to feed my own ego and I'm, I'm scared that they're going to die? And I'm, how am I, you know, once again, getting to my selfish idea, self-seeking, bringing it back to step three, I'm self-seeking that I, I want to save this person. I want to put on the red cape and save this person. Or am I God-centered where God's telling me I can be useful with that person? So that's what I filter it through. The book tells me to leave them alone, but I'm always asking God, can I be useful to this person? Because I have ruined future opportunities by chasing people. I have ruined future opportunities by chasing people. And I have also allowed people to stay in disease because of the fact that I, I feel better when, I'm, when I am helping them and I'm not taking into consideration that I, I am helping them kill themselves. But it's all individual. Get with your higher power. Ask if you can be useful. If you can be useful, continue. If you can't be useful, you might, be, you might need to walk away. You've got it passed. Thank you. Spot on. And Carol C., you'll be our final question this morning. Star one to unmute. Yes, this is Carol C. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm so grateful for this meeting and everyone involved in it. My question was answered thoroughly, and I thank you very much. So I 
I already have the answer. Okay, thank you, Carol C., and thanks to everybody who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Kim, for transmitting your knowledge and especially, particularly, your experience with the program of recovery. We thank you very much. And I'm going to close the way we always close from the reading on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.